Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm a very hoarse Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right with COVID. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler. And from Emporia, Virginia, I'm turning left. This is leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. And as always, we are powered by Pacematic. Senator, I know you're under the weather and, and battling COVID. Your, your family, you've been taking care of them and the bug caught you. So uh, give us a health update to begin with. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Hermie, for your concern, and you've been a great friend uh, talking to me all through last weekend, this week as well. Um, my kids, uh, actually, my wife came down, my wife Laura came down with COVID, uh, probably got it from somebody in her office who said they were suffering from allergies. And then my children um, uh, got ill, and, uh, it, you know, the, they got it pretty good. And so since I was exposed last week before the Memorial Day holiday, I stayed home so I could take care of them knowing that I had been exposed and just, you know, still eating my vitamins, still doing the right things. I had avoided COVID for a couple of years. And, uh, and then uh, last night on Sunday night, uh, I just, I tested positive after testing negative for six, seven days. And, uh, and I don't blame them, but uh, I was there for caring for my kids. And now this is the effect. Now the, you know, the thing about COVID, it's always a very serious thing. And so I'm separated from you, Hermie. I'm not anywhere near uh, our producer, Brad Tuesday. But this is a very important podcast. So uh, even though uh, I've been at home uh, resting and probably will be there for the rest of the week doing that, uh, I'm here because it's such a very important topic we're going to be talking about, not just racing today, but something that's going on in the General Assembly session. But um for anyone who has COVID, take care of yourself, take your vitamins, uh, make sure you're, you know, you're eating and, and doing all the things. Right now, it feels more like a bad allergy. I think you can hear it in my voice. Uh, and, you know, and there's a little bit of fatigue. But uh, other than that, I'm doing fine. I was vaxxed, wouldn't boosted, done everything right. And it just shows uh, how insidious this uh, virus can be. So I hope everybody is out there uh, staying safe. And I hope they can tolerate the sound of my voice because I think it sounds pretty great, you know. Uh, yeah, it I sounds like kind of husky voice. It Ladies sounds, and you know, kind cherry. of exotic, you know. Yes, yeah. Your Honor. You ought to try to May hold on to that. The court. Yeah, uh, maybe but I'll you, be you, a, like a blues singer. You mentioned that we have a lot of important topics to talk about. Obviously, uh, the long-awaited state budget uh, is starting to leak out. Many people have seen it, talked about it. There'll be a vote on mm -hmm. that uh, later this week. Uh, we have lots of topics and concerns to discuss about that and also how it potentially relates to our ongoing lawsuit against the Commonwealth of Virginia on the issue of skill gains because as we 
kind of predicted and had hoped they would not do this, but kind of been led down the path and predicted uh, there is some language in there related to uh, skill gains, but we'll talk more about that later in the show. Now, we were going to later this week potentially try to convene together down at the legendary North Wilkesboro Speedway to take this podcast, but being as your health is what it is and the, the timing of all that, uh, we decided to just take this uh, remotely this week, get this done, but we will next week and in the coming weeks get back out on the road and take in some different venues and visit some different places and and uh, bring in some different guests. But but you said it, and I'll say it one more time. Today, and I told you this uh, on Sunday, yesterday, Bill, that in a lot of ways to me, this is the most important podcast that we have taped because the reason we started this podcast, as you know, was to have a platform for a number of things, not only Saddler Stanley Racing and other things, but to have a platform to keep people updated on the progress that we're making on behalf of Virginia small business owners and our lawsuit against the Commonwealth of Virginia and government overreach. So this week has been probably the biggest news week that we've ever had as it relates to that and what the government is trying to do to small businesses and potentially more issues that we're going to have to face in our lawsuit so we need to catch people up on that and kind of look ahead and kind of predict and and talk through what our next steps may be so we can keep our hundreds of small business partners and people that are depending on us to to fight for them we need to let them know kind of what's going on what your initial thoughts are how we plan to attack and, and move on but before we get right. to that since we both have a lot to talk about in that regard do you want to get some turning left out of the way first? Let's do that. Uh, we usually start off with the leaning right moments. I think we can lead with, uh, you know, this Memorial Day weekend has just ended. Uh, it is, in my mind, uh, the greatest weekend of racing. So my son Chandler and I sat in front of the TV uh, while he was recovering. And and uh, we watched uh, everything from the Little 500, the Indy 500, to the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, put a lot of hours in watching racing, and uh, it was a very exciting time for us. And uh, for me and Chandler, I don't think you can get a better uh, thing to watch than racing. And so it made it very frustrating for some of the other people in my household who couldn't watch their HGTV or Bravo TV shows. <laughs> so we had a great time. What do you think? Well, if you're a race fan, uh, it, it is no other day quite like it. And I've told you – I. The Monaco, I paid no attention to. I just don't watch that. The Indy 500, I watched solely to see my old friend Jimmy Johnson out there realizing and competing in one of his bucket list races, the Indianapolis 500. So I have been to that race before live, and I watch that race regularly. But having Jimmy out there was uh, created added interest for me. I wanted to, to watch that. And the, the Coca-Cola 600... I really enjoyed, I, I, you know, I, it really irritates me when people start talking about the length of that race, how they, you know, we've already, we should have learned enough lessons by now by walking away from some of the NASCAR history we've had over the years. So I think the Coca-Cola 600 should always be, I call it the World 600. The yeah, that's what it was called 600. before, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was called the World 600, wasn't it? 600, just think, if we had, if we didn't have that last 100 miles, all the drama that we would have missed 
not having that race, uh, you know, in uh, drivers and in cars and pit crews and spotters and everybody, that's a long, grueling day. And those last hundred miles, especially, a lot was going on. And a you know, hundred a hundred miles to go, nobody would have predicted Denny Hamlin would have won that race. And so for him to put himself in that position and to see those last couple restarts at the end, you, you saw the, you know, the uh, throw the manhood on the dashboard move by Austin Dillon, you know, and, and, and that looked like it was going to be a beautiful move. And then, you know, Denny comes in and, and Denny put himself in a great position, whether the caution had come out or not, you know, to win that race. But you saw people going for it. I, the 20 or 25 laps we saw with Kyle Larson and Chase Briscoe, to me, is the kind of racing I miss seeing in races like the World 600. I, I remember back, in fact, I saw a clip. Somebody posted a clip. Maybe it had been Dale Earnhardt Jr. a couple of weeks ago. Posted a clip of the 1980 World 600 between the finish of the race between Benny Parsons and Darrell Waltrip. These two guys were going back and forth and slide jobs and you know, things of that nature. And watching Chase Briscoe and Kyle Larson, you know, for those 20, 30 laps, watching those two guys battle, what what we thought at the time was going to be for the win in the World 600 was just some great, great old school racing. And Chase Briscoe just went for it. I mean, he dove in there and went for it and spun out. and and uh, But he's already got a win this year. He, he went for it. It didn't work out. And then that led us to the other caution after caution after caution uh, that mm-hmm. brought us ultimately to Denny Hamlin winning another. I mean, think about the career that Denny Hamlin has had. And to me, getting another bucket list win in his career now puts more emphasis on really the only thing remaining unchecked on that list of Denny Hamlin things he's accomplished, and that's a championship. So we'll have to wait and see if he can really peak at the right time and go get it done, make it to Phoenix this year, but execute without mistakes at Phoenix this year and maybe get that first championship. Yeah, I tell you what – Definite Hall of Famer, uh, always seems to put himself right in the position, just like the race before with the All-Star. He's cycling through. He's in the back. Something happens on pit road. All of a sudden, he's back up in there. And his timing, uh, unintentional or intentional, has always been impeccable. And he's always right there at the end and then knows really how to handle the race car, knows how to drive it uh, with gusto, but at the same time, those guts are matched with the uh, intellect and, and a very impressive win, a six hour and 19 minute race uh, that quite frankly, if you're a race fan, you know, I've been hearing like Haley Deegan and other people saying, if you want to keep a younger audience, you've got to shorten these races. Uh, but for my 10 year old Chandler, um, we kind of wanted it to keep going. And, uh, and that's, and that demonstrates, I think that the product that NASCAR is putting back on the track is getting better and that the, the, the next-gen cars that we're dealing with right now are better. Uh, first time seeing a flip, though, I think it was Busher, wasn't it, uh, right there at the end? Yeah, Chris Busher looked, looked like the right front upper control arm maybe dug into the to the grass or the turf there in the trial at Charlotte and flipped him over multiple times. Luckily, he was okay. But, you know, I said it a few minutes ago, and I'll say it again because I think it, it bears repeating. NASCAR, I hope, has learned some lessons from moving away from some of its 
its historical racing venues in historical races, especially in racing country, that being the Mid-Atlantic region down in North Carolina, especially Charlotte. You know, we've taken, which I agree with now, I didn't originally, but the, the Roval races in the fall. But the, you know, and I'm okay with that. They've turned that into a kind of a, you know, kind of a unique event all its own. But we do not need to take away, change, alter, move in any respects. The World 600, that is a bucket list race and is, has a lot of NASCAR history. And I hope it's always run at Charlotte. Uh, same time of day, starting in day, going into night. Six hours, 19 minutes, nine hours, 16 minutes. It don't matter. It's a great spectacle, great race. And by the way, the most important part of that race is the pre-race show that they always put on such a great show full of tributes and honoring service men and women that paid the ultimate sacrifice. So you and I and people like us can sit on our couch on a, a Sunday afternoon and watch that race. So we want to certainly on behalf of you and I and everyone with Leaning Right and Turning Left podcast, uh, say our thanks and, 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 and send our well wishes and, and, and a big fat thank you to everybody that has sacrificed and continues to sacrifice so we can have a day like we had yesterday. And especially those families that have lost loved ones. You know, we enjoy the freedom that those that gave their lives for it earned and truly deserve. And so we honor them. And too often we're seeing in sporting events, moving away from that pride that we have in America, that pride that you and I have in the greatest country on this planet ever given by God to, to free people. And yet uh, they don't oversell it, but they don't undersell it. I thought uh, the tribute to those fallen heroes on each car, instead of the name of the driver, we had a name of a, an American hero who gave their life, made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could live free. Uh, but then the, the, whole, the whole pre-race, just as you said, was uh, a moving tribute to this country to what freedom and liberty means and especially to those that earned it by spilling their blood for us and you know one thing that i I probably tear up about uh is not just watching that but my son 10 year old uh, kid not compelled by me but certainly has been to races uh as soon as that um as soon as that national anthem starts he's up with his hand over his heart uh he's bowing his head you know we're in a living room uh for prayer and uh, he turned to me because I started to get teared up about taps when they played taps. And taps always moves me because, you know, my father died, as, I, as we told in the first podcast, when a month after I graduated from college, uh, heard uh, a bugler pay, play taps at my father's funeral. Uh, and it really meant something. My father passed away. He, he got a disease of cancer from, and that was service-related uh, and died way too soon. Uh, but the moving tribute of such a simple song and so many simple notes played on a on a trumpet uh, are still stirring and moving to me. And, and my son looked up and, and asked me about what that was. And so I was able to have a teaching moment for my, for my kid and myself and to remind me how important uh, every life that is sacrificed. So just as you say, we can live free, how important that is to remember, not just on Memorial Day, but every day. And yep. so I want to thank NASCAR too. I mean, no other sport does that. They, you will not find that in the NBA. You will not find that in the NFL. You will not find that in hockey. 
You won't find it anywhere else but NASCAR. And thank you, NASCAR, for, for keeping that the way it's always been. It makes a big difference. In, and it was a pretty large crowd that was there as well. Not as big as Indy, but, but Look, uh, a really see, proud moment for America. You see the names of fallen soldiers on the windshield of each competitor's car. And you saw NASCAR actually stop the race at the midpoint of the race, bring all the cars down pit road, stop them on pit road, and have a couple moments to recognize and honor. Just think about what it means to those families that lost loved ones in service for just to have that, you know, because I can only imagine. And I look, I had a, a cousin that, you know, passed away, served in Afghanistan, and they often, you know, his his mom and who is my mom's sister, and then through our family, we always kind of felt like they've got for you know they are forgotten in a lot of ways. The or the ones that served and you know and got back home, some did, some didn't. Unfortunately, my cousin passed away, but they should be honored and remembered every day. But everybody gets tied up with life and things going on. So I'm I'm with you. Kudos to NASCAR for always putting that at the forefront of the, I'll call it again, the World 600. They do a great job with it. You can tell they mean it. It's not for show. And you can tell well, some of the, the stories I saw on the pre-race show yesterday, how some of the families were really touched by seeing their dad, uncle, son, daughter, whoever it may be, see that name on a windshield of a NASCAR race car and riding around the racetrack at, you know, 180 mile an hour for 600 miles really touched a lot of people in a positive way. So I applaud everybody involved. Now, also, while we're talking racing and touched on it earlier at the beginning, this is also an exciting week for Sadler Stanley Racing, SS Racing, because later this week, Midweek, the SS Racing Open Wheel Modified will be participating in a test at the famed, just reopening North Wilkesboro Speedway. Because coming up in August, first couple of days of August, there will there will be two smart open wheel modified races at this legendary speedway that mine and your, I'll say yours and mine, <laughs> Stanley Sadler Racing, since, since you're sick, thank you. I'll thank turn you, around Herbie. for you today only, <laughs> the Stanley Sadler SS Racing car uh, is going to compete at North Wilkesboro Speedway, and that's something that you and I and Phil Stefanelli and Jonathan Brown, everybody on our team is mighty excited about, but they test later this week at that speedway. Yeah, it's going to be Wednesday. It's the same day as session for a while. Uh, I had this ethical debate. Do I go back to session on Wednesday or do I play hooky and, and drive down there with you to, to watch our car make some historic laps uh, with Jonathan Brown in, in the cockpit of the 22 as we test tires and, and get him a little more used to the track? Uh, luckily uh, I didn't have to make that, or unfortunately I didn't have to make that decision. COVID got in the way. Uh, so I'm attending neither. I won't be there on Wednesday for the test because I can't, even though it's outdoors and I won't be president session. And, you know, and we're going to talk about session here in a little bit, but I, 
I was talking to my wife about it, and I've only missed three days in 11 years in the Virginia State Senate. One was when our daughter died. A second was uh, when a federal judge told me I had to come to Charlotte in a criminal case uh, to defend my client where I was going to be put in jail if I didn't or held in contempt. And then now because of this COVID diagnosis. So pretty good uh, attendance record, uh, better than I had in high school. But, um, you know, it's it's going to be an exciting time. I think the, the races are August 2nd and 3rd. Practice is on August 1st. I think you're going to find those those old grandstands filled with people. People are going to want to be there to say that they were there. You don't get a lot of firsts like that, again, in racing. And we have an opportunity to celebrate the old track, its history, and absolutely be there. It's kind of like shoving that ship off the dock for the first time in a christening as that track then moves forward. And, and the important thing, Hermie, will be is not just celebrating that one night and the second night on the, on the 3rd of August, the 2nd and 3rd, but also make sure making sure that we maintain our interest uh, in North Wilkesboro and, and especially the historic nature of that track and, and weaving it back in with our smaller tracks and throughout the Commonwealth and also rural North Carolina. Uh, I don't want to see what happened, you know, when they tried to bring Rockingham back. Uh, it, it, it was great for a while, but it just didn't seem to sustain itself. And Rockingham is one of the best classic tracks there in the whole wide world. So uh, very excited about that. Uh, you know, I guess it's still up in the air. We have two cars in the Here we go. Sadler Stanley Here we Racing. Go. You just can't wait to spend uh, more money. Well, you know, it's not just spending money. It, it's a no, question it, that it, I just It, it is spending money. <laughs> it's, I said it's not just about spending money. But, you know, you only get this, you know, you only go around the world once, and you only get these kind of shots once. And I guess you're pretty firm that a a an, a Hermie Sadler will not be running in the first historic race back at North Wilkesboro. Uh, we've yep. talked about potentials. You know, we've talked about Ryan Newman, and, and I watched him in the Little 500. I don't know if you got to see that. I was on Mav TV uh, running midgets, and uh, and it's a 500 lap around a, I guess it's a quarter-mile track, maybe a little less, um, right there in uh, Indianapolis, just off from the speedway, a little ways away. And he posted sixth uh, in that race, only wrecking at the last, uh, last six laps, kind of like Jimmy Johnson did. Uh, but it was very impressive to watch him run, and he came out of that that car, and he was – you looked at him, and he was exhausted. Uh, but what a gutsy run and finish. Maybe we put him in the uh, car. Maybe you put your old friend Jimmy Johnson in the car after running Indianapolis uh, so well, rookie of the of the race. Uh, actually led some laps there, too, because uh, he pitted late. Yep. But, um, you know, I, I don't think we should – just pass on the opportunity. Why don't maybe we to make let our history? car test this week first and make sure it even turns left to go around the track before don't we start shaking? To, don't you ever shake the the Christmas presents <laughs> under the tree and try to maybe look to the future? My what, job is to run Day? Stanley Sadler Racing in a <laughs> um, frugal, um, you know, make good positive decisions way not make decisions based on emotion. But I will say this. We're going to go test this week, see how our car runs, and make decisions on the second car uh, in the coming weeks. We'll keep everybody posted here. But what I will say is this. I hope the fans turn out in big numbers for these races. Because you mentioned Rockingham. That's back when I was doing TV when Andy Hillenberg, a good friend of mine, bought the Speedway at Rockingham and was bringing it back. Because all these NASCAR fans had said, 
bring Rockingham back. We'll sell it out. We'll support it. We'll come, you know, in droves to support Rockingham. Well, the first year we had a truck race there, Andy gave away about 20,000 tickets just to get people back in the seats to come back to experience it. Okay? You figure year two, those people will come back and bring people with them. But when he started to try to charge for tickets and make people pay to come watch the race, the second year, nobody showed up. And so as NASCAR fans, you can't you can't complain and bitch and moan about we lost Rockingham, we lost North Wilkesboro, we want this, we want that. Andy Hudenberg lost a lot of money working towards doing what he thought the fans said they wanted to bring Rockingham back. And he got crapped on. So yeah. I'm encouraging the fans, we hope you'll pull for the Stanley Sadler car when you come to the racetrack. But regardless, I hope in early August, you'll mark your calendar for August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd to come over to North Wilkesboro Speedway, bring your neighbor, bring your cousin, bring your sister, bring your mom, your dad, everybody. Come to North Wilkesboro Speedway and fill that place up and let them know the ones that are spending the money that are planning to, to promote and, and finance these races at this racetrack and let them know that you mean business, that you really and truly want racing to be at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Because if you don't show up, that's ultimately what's going to tell the tale, is how many people legitimately show up and spend their hard-earned money to support racing at that racetrack. And the congregation should say amen. I mean, you're exactly right. It, it, it can't be a one-off kind of deal like they did in Rockingham. Uh, and especially, you know, it, I think it trickles down. You and I are, have a, a real passion to try to save the, the short tracks, the historic tracks in Virginia, North Carolina. But if you're not going to support a Rockingham that you wanted back so badly, and then you don't come out and support North Wilkesboro, which they're investing a lot of money in. Of course, you've got Marcus Smith doing uh, the leading there and Barry. Uh, but ultimately, if you don't support that track, then it doesn't get back on the NASCAR schedule, whether it be trucks, Xfinity, or Cup. And so put your money where your mouth is. And the trickle-down effect is if you're not going to support a Wilkesboro, uh, then I think all of our other tracks are perhaps endangered species in those rural areas as well. We have to get out and support it. It's the great, greatest time you'll ever have sitting in the bleachers watching some fun and, and uh, hanging out with your community, man. And, and, and quite frankly, you're doing a lot for your community. You're doing a lot for these homegrown race uh, teams, and you're, you're doing a lot uh, for the community that surrounds that track and those businesses, that those small businesses uh, that depend on that kind of revenue, even if it's um, every other weekend or five times a year. It makes a big difference in the bottom line for those small businesses that we cherish here on this podcast so much. So God bless you, Hermie, for saying that. But everybody's got to get back out there and support Wilkesboro. And I wish The Rock, too, uh, but all our short tracks as well. And I've got to see those that listened to the podcast from a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned that in the early 1990s, when I raced a late model stock car at North Wilkesboro Speedway, I parked my 1985 Metallic P family truckster station wagon in the infield while we were practicing, qualifying, and racing. And when I got back to the car, the Banquet Frozen Foods Hospitality Village 
had been built around my station wagon. So we could not get it out until late Sunday night. So I'm just curious, is my station wagon still there? Maybe. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> well, if anybody's got a picture of that, that would be great, too. We could post it on our Facebook pages. and uh, I've done some see, embarrassing uh, things in my life, but to have my personal vehicle end up being the centerpiece of a hospitality village at North Wilkesboro Speedway had to be on the top of the list of the dumbest things or the most embarrassing things that or the greatest things I've ever been a part of. Listen, not everybody can say that their uh, family truckster was the centerpiece of uh, a hospitality. It tent. looked just like Clark W. Griswold's metallic P family truckster on National Lampoon's Vacation. Exactly like well, that. it, you know, and I've uh, I've been. My son and I have been looking at uh, building uh, models, uh, and especially race cars, and we came across a, a model that is that Hobby Lobby, and it looks kind of like what you described. So I might have to buy that kit, put it together, and present it to you on a future podcast because I uh, still can't get that story out of my mind, and I can't get the, uh, the experience with The Rock. And so we're not going to do it on this podcast, uh, but we've teed up because – after you talked about The Rock on the last podcast, compelling podcast, and, and I was messing with you. I was having fun. I thought those were great commercials, and you told a very uh, very poignant, very compelling story on friendship and, and what happened between you and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and, and I have been thinking about that ever since. And so I went back, and I pulled, actually, you gave me an ad one time a long time ago, uh, but I went back and started looking deeper because I, you know, I didn't know as much as I think you have the stories to tell about your wrestling involvement and your wrestling career. So on another podcast coming up very soon. I am undefeated in the ring, so <laughs> look that up. And see, that's not made-up stuff either. That's, you know, no choreographing there. That's that's straight on, right? Real stuff. Real stuff. But, it's, but I think we've got another story to unpack uh, in the future about your very eclectic life and uh, colorful and storied life and – and we'll bring that back together and, uh, and in a future podcast. Let's, I, we'll dive deep into your wrestling life. Jeff Jarrett, you know, I showed up at that night. I did a, about a 15-minute pay-per-view match with R-Truth. Ron Killings uh, is his name. R-Truth now in WWE. And I showed up at the Civic Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee in the early 2000s. And we put that match together. And basically, I told Jeff Jarrett, Y'all pay me enough money, you can whip my ass all over this building. And that's exactly what they did. <laughs> but it was painful. Speaking of painful, we've got yeah. some painful things to discuss as it relates to this quote-unquote state budget that we've been waiting so long yes. to get to. So now we're really going to be leaning right. Actually, you might be leaning right. But I think I'm going to be leaning upside down because yeah. what is going on and how it's happening and how people are manipulating the system that's supposed to be a democracy is not okay with me. And we need to let people know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, first, if you, if you don't mind, I, I have a little tiny leaning right moment that's un related to the budget but it's related to politics and i just want to take the time to say it and of course our leaning right moments are brought to you by charlie's waterfront cafe in beautiful downtown farmville virginia go get great food great drink great times uh, great social hour 
overlooking the Appomattox River. Someone told me it might be the Appomattox Creek, but I'm just going to keep calling it the river. And if you want a nice tasty wine, then go down to the cellar uh, below. Uh, the tasting cellar is also serving great wines and great food. Go see Tom Graziano. Tell him uh, that Herbie and Bill sent you and see if he'll knock something off your bill. But this uh, Leaning Right moment, once again, brought to you by the proud sponsor, Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. Uh, I'm just going to mention this real quickly because, you know, we talk about a lot of political topics. One of the things that has kind of struck me is I was having a conversation with a, a good friend of mine from high school, Bill Reams, who was just so frustrated after the Texas shooting. And, um, you know, he just wants to do something. He wants to make a difference. And we all do. And and what we always seem to see is when a tragedy like the Texas mass shooting occurs, we suddenly polarize ourselves and, and we're never able to come to a solution because uh, one side believes they're right and, and blames the other side uh, for what happened because we're gun nuts and we're gun crazy and we need to take all guns off the streets and AR-15s and it goes on and on and on and we don't do anything uh, in the law. And, and so, you know, what frustrates me is that they then say, well, your thoughts and prayers go nowhere. Well, if we're not praying, um, then we're not going to get anywhere in this life. Uh, if we're not thinking about these issues and trying to talk as reasonable adults can, then we're never going to find solutions. There have been gun control measures that have been even passed here in the Commonwealth of Virginia after the George Floyd um, incident uh, in Minnesota. We had a special session for 80-some-odd days. We debated those issues. There were some red flag laws and other laws that were passed uh, based on the majorities that they had. None of those laws would have prevented what happened in Texas. The, the young man that evil young man, when there's evil in your heart, you can hide all the guns you possibly can from the good people. Evil people are going to find a way to kill and, and carry out their evil thoughts. And that is something we cannot stop, except you can stop someone who is armed by being armed. And so when I hear that, well, you Republicans never do anything, you, you never pass any laws, you never reasonable gun control. And well, we've had reasonable gun control. We have those background checks. But the one thing that we've always proposed on our side uh, is the one thing that they just cannot stand, the left, and that is simply this. We put bailiffs in our courtrooms who are armed with a sidearm, with a Glock. We don't hear liberals saying, oh, nope, nope, we're hardening the target of a courthouse. Nobody complains about uh, a deputy sheriff, a bailiff uh, being at the door, um, magnetometer, you know, making you be screened and wearing a gun or a firearm. Nobody complains from the left about a bank with a armed security guard outside. They don't complain about that because money's important to protect and so is the judicial system. Uh, but when you try to say, and we've passed measures that have been in three varieties. One, put a school resource officer, armed school resource officer in every school. Democrats kill that bill, whether they try to kill it in the legislature or veto it at the governor's mansion when they have a Democrat governor and a Republican-controlled Senate. We then say, okay, let's teach our teachers. Uh, go through a certification program uh, with our sheriff's departments. Uh, they can be armed and concealed carry in the gun-free zone that we announce to everybody that a school is a gun-free zone. And we'll just put them there. Teachers balk. No way. You know, you won't even know which teacher it is, but putting somebody who's armed, if you're not going to put a resource officer, a police officer in the school uh, who can be there and meet the attack and be certified uh, by the uh, by the law enforcement, local law enforcement at the time, they veto or kill that bill. We even say, hey, OK, if you're worried about the expense, why don't we have retired military who are willing to serve 
because we have hundreds of them willing to serve, thousands of them willing to serve and guard the schools outside, uh, be certified by our sheriff's department uh, at their own expense, volunteer, and be there to protect kids. Oh, no, these guns around kids are so, could harm their education, could be so intimidating. Uh, and so they don't harden the school. And so these things continue. And what kills me is if you had somebody out there like that, and it took an off-duty Border Patrol agent who got a text from his wife who was inside the school to go grab his barber, he was at a barbershop, grab his barber shotgun, and go running in there to do it, a volunteer. And so for when we think about these things and, and we get complaints from the left that the Republicans are just not doing anything, we're a gun culture, we try to propose these these very common sense ways of protecting our children, as you've heard on this podcast, are our, our most precious natural resource in the Commonwealth and throughout the country. Uh, we are met with resistance. Nope, let's put the stickers outside, say gun-free zones, let's leave the doors unlocked, let's leave them naked uh, to such attacks. Uh, we have tried these gun control laws, background checks, uh, red flag laws, they have been passed. Why won't the left try the one thing that the president says he's not for, not going to do, which is hardening our schools. You know what? In Israel, they don't have these kind of attacks and they're living in a terrorist center organized region. You know what? The one thing that the terrorists don't attack is schools. You know why? Because there's about three or four guys standing outside with Uzis uh, from the uh, Israel Defense Force. So uh, it, that works. And if it works, then it should work uh, for all of us. And in that regard, uh, we need to try something different. The liberals need to just say, okay, maybe if we harden this, we'll find that that's why we don't have shoot 'em ups in banks and we don't have shoot 'em ups in courts uh, because we have uh, well-armed people. It's a sad day in America because I think you and I, Hermie, never were raised uh, with this kind of fear that now parents have, including myself, I send my children to public school, uh, that, my God, will they be safe? Well, there's one way to make sure that they're safe. And let me tell you, having represented uh, people of a criminal mind as a part of my law practice, I can tell you uh, they like the soft target. If they see a, two guys standing outside armed uh, and their only way into that otherwise what would have been a soft target is through them, those wussies aren't going aren't gonna to go through there. They're going to go find another soft target. So uh, that's a little bit of a bent. But, you know, we can sit down and have good discussions about this. But what I see is the disgusting part of while these parents grieve is that everybody politicizes this thing, polarizes their position and nothing gets done. We tried it your way. We have your laws in effect. They wouldn't have changed this. Why not? Let's do the thing that is reasonable. Let's protect our children. We do it the way we protect everything else, including our governors, including the president of the United States. Uh, why do they deserve more protection than our children? Answer me that. And that's my turning right moment before we talk about the budget. Couldn't say it any better, so I'll leave it right at that. But coming up next, we're going to discuss the budget, how we got here, where we go from here, what it means for the Commonwealth of Virginia, the normal citizens of the Commonwealth of Virginia, what it means for small businesses and our lawsuit, and everything in between. But before we do that and take a break, I want to say that Pacematic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every single time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops 
thriving, especially, Senator, in a challenging business environment like we are currently in. So we'll take a break right now. We'll come back and we'll dig deep into the budget of the Commonwealth of Virginia. When we come back, this is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Stay tuned. It's going to be quite a discussion. Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pallet travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95. And Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. And we're back. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. We just had a nice discussion about not only NASCAR racing, but Stanley Sadler racing, testing at North Wilkesboro. And, and Senator, you ended that first segment with a passionate discussion about gun law and and some of the tragedies we've had and how sometimes it's not as easy as it seems to get things done, even for the common good of of everybody. And that discussion probably leads us right over into the discussion of something that you and I both are passionate about, and that is the state budget that will be, I guess, voted on later this week. Yeah, and, you know, it's uh, it's always amazing that when you look at the inaction you know, the complaints or the polarization between the two parties that run government. Um, you know, just as I was talking about earlier with the situation, the terrible, terrible, god-awful situation that I will continue to pray for those families, are, despite what the left says I'm doing, wasting my time, because I don't know that they got a lot of God in them, in some of them, not all of them. But, you know, um, it's always proven differently with polarization and inaction or or backroom deals when real America gets involved, just like in West Virginia, uh, someone was pointing a, a firearm and firing into a crowd and a woman stood up in that crowd who was carrying a concealed weapon and eliminated the shooter. Um, 
it demonstrates that government doesn't have the answer because government won't allow itself uh, to look at things in different ways to find solutions and instead creates more problems. And that's that's the problem we're having right now with this budget. A giant size, multi-billion dollar, two-year budget uh, where usually uh, the setup on, on this discussion will be is nine times out of 10, we're, we're budgeting for localities, for law enforcement, for the pillars of government, which is schools, education, public safety, infrastructure. And that budget is usually a numbers game that has some direction on how the money is to be spent. And that's the language that we include in the budget. But this year is is different. If you've listened to this podcast before, we've had uh, multiple discussions on why we think skill games are different, why we want our injunction uh, and the protections that skill games have uh, under the First Amendment and otherwise, why with legislation that passed the General Assembly, SB 972, that those uh, attempts were found to be unconstitutional, but at least went through a vetting process of a bill being introduced, debated by a committee, sent to the floors of the House, debated, voted on, and then sent to the Senate committees, debated on, voted out, and, and voted on the Senate floor. But what we're not supposed to do in this multi 300 and some odd page budget is legislate through it. We've always been told as state senators and just as a little education, we have an obligation on the Constitution to pass a balanced budget every uh, two years. But we've been told that it is improper to legislate and to make radical changes in Virginia law through a budget that is one little piece of a very multifaceted uh, bill because it is a piece of legislation. SB 30 is what it's called or HB 30. And so we're told two things. Don't legislate through the budget. Don't try to get your bills in that you didn't have the balls to carry uh, through the normal process or that got defeated through that normal process. Don't try to put them in the budget because they get stuck and hidden in there, that legislating through the budget. And people are going to vote for the budget because they might like the increase uh, in teacher pay or some of the things in it, but would not have voted for that part of it anyway, but they're stuck voting for it because if they vote against it because of that little thing that's written in the budget, uh, then then the other side will say he's against teachers. He's against law enforcement. He's against this. She's against this. And so that's why we don't legislate through the budget theoretically. And secondarily, we do not, as you saw in the regular General Assembly uh, session this year in 2022, we don't. Uh, interfere with court cases that are ongoing and pending when it deals with legislation specifically or laws on the books. Well, it now appears with the budget that has just come out that we have violated those two principles uh, and we have done so because we are in the pockets of special interest and we have chosen those large out-of-state special interests over small businesses. Exactly what we said and why we continued the case that we feared has come to fruition at least in this proposed budget, which is going to be voted on on Wednesday in the General Assembly session. And and Hermie, uh, let's talk about that because it's so important to to the fight that you've been fighting and I've been your lawyer on, but also impact small businesses and Virginia tradition in ways that have never been seen before and quite frankly are disappointing. Well, first thing I'll say is, and I say this in general general terms because you are a member of the general assembly obviously but i think it's absurd that a vote on a state budget is on 
I guess that's going to be June the 1st. Right. On a Wednesday. It's the job is to get the budget done in a timely manner. June 1st is not a timely manner. That's number one from just coming from a resident of the Commonwealth of Virginia who elects people to go to the General Assembly to one of the things to do is not only make laws, hopefully by the Constitution, which that's a whole nother discussion, but to balance the budget. While we're doing a fire sale or or rushing to vote on a budget on what's going to be June the 1st is unacceptable, inappropriate. You can name any number of things you want to name. Now, as it relates to us, a couple weeks ago, you as the leader of my legal team and our lawsuit against the Commonwealth of Virginia on their unconstitutional ban of skill games, we decided to try, and you were successful, in getting our court case continued until November because you kept hearing through the grapevine that there was a small group of people, but unfortunately, this small group of people included some that are in charge of appropriations on the House side and the Senate side. You kept hearing that despite the, the statements you just made, that it is a quote-unquote legislative no-no to insert policy into an appropriations bill in the budget, especially when there's ongoing litigation on that issue, despite those no-nos, you had been hearing that there may be some language being slid in this budget in baseball terms in the bottom of the ninth inning to slide it in because everybody knows that residents of the Commonwealth of Virginia are so overdue to get a balanced budget that they could slide this language in and there would be no real opportunity for people like yourself or or people in the in the house or the senate to ask questions of this language understand what this language actually means and debate the merits of that language separately from the budget as a whole because a lot of legislators and look we're sitting here on monday yesterday on memorial day i got actual phone calls from more than one legislator elected official in the commonwealth of virginia calls me on a sunday memorial day asking me to explain to them what this language actually means because they had no idea <laughs> so Basically, what you have here is Janet Howell, Senator Howell, Barry Knight, whoever else is involved in the upper echelon of this committee or budget conference committee or whatever you want to call it, appropriations, they are putting at least some legislators, elected legislators, in a position where they are going to have to go in on Wednesday and only offer a simple yes or no, a thumbs up or a thumbs down vote on the budget as a whole that, by the way, includes 
language in which they are trying to again ban skill games in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So we're not a. And these legislators told me straight up they do not understand what the language means. They're going to have to go, Senator Stanley, and vote yes because of the time constraints of providing a balanced budget to get their localities funded, get their teachers paid, get all these things done. But they're going to have to vote yes on a budget that contains language related to skill games that they do not understand. Yeah. What in the hell are we doing? Yeah, and, and just to give you some perspective, and especially those listeners that may not understand the process entirely, um, the House and Senate proposed different budgets um, they're different uh, in sense of spending priorities or things that are included in the original general assembly session. They couldn't get it together in a 60 day session uh, to put a budget agreement together. So uh, we had two different budgets and what we do is we appoint conferees, usually your most senior members of the Senate finance and house appropriations committee. I believe it's five each on either side, whoever has the majority in, uh, in the House, it would be Republicans, probably three Republicans, two Democrats, and reverse uh, in the Senate because it's controlled by the Democrats, uh, two Republicans, three um, three uh, uh, Democrats. Uh, actually, it was even a bigger uh, rostrum of uh, senators uh, than that number. I'm just trying to give you kind of an indication of how those are picked. Um, but most of those on the Senate side, and from what I hear on the House side, other than the chairman of the respective committees, those were those people were pretty much kept out of the process. And this was a back room, smoky back room, you know, everything you Tammany Hall, you, you kind of imagine kind of legislating uh, that was done in the past that supposedly we don't do any more in the future because we're so transparent was going on. And they did. They delayed this budget. I even heard that they had probably most of it worked out. Pretty soon after we left, I mean, I even heard we we're going back mid May, late May. Um, they had it pretty much worked out, but they held the ball uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, maybe played four corners, you know, Dean Smith ball. There you go. UNC reference uh, in order to put pressure on legislators and then the governor and not giving everybody enough time to really debate the issues. Some issues are benign. Are we are we doing the gasoline tax uh, rebate for our suffering citizens uh, who are paying high prices at the pump? Do we eliminate the grocery tax, one of the most aggressive taxes that affect our, our middle and lower class uh, Virginians the most? And then basically trying to run out the clock so that the governor has no options and the legislators have no sh no say. So they come together and they agree the House and Senate committees on a budget that they present to us and say, you can't debate it. Pull one thing out. Try to amend it. It's an up or down vote. Yes or no. And quite frankly, just as I said earlier in this podcast, uh, if you vote no on this budget, uh, for skill games, but it's not even just skill games. We'll talk a little bit about the other things they're doing that are wrong. Uh, then you're against teachers, you're against law enforcement, and it gets run up your backside politically. So, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to guess right now that it's not only just this, that you feel like at the, you know, at the end of appointed stick, you're told to vote for this. Otherwise you may suffer a political consequence. I'm going to guess right now because of my 11 sessions in the Senate that the leaders are probably looking at this skill game legislation and this marijuana legislation. We'll talk about how they're kind of related. And they're saying, we made a deal so that we could get all this other good stuff. Don't you dare say anything against this. That rather than have the debate on the floors on, on Wednesday about why are we legislating through the budget? 
why are we going against a court case and basically giving the middle finger to a judge in his ruling, which was right and not disturbed and actually agreed to by the Supreme Court of Virginia? We could have a robust debate just about those principles, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to guess, and this podcast will drop on Thursday, which means it'll be the day after this session goes. I'll be surprised if I'm not right uh, that they will have stifled debate because they'll also threaten if you bring up that we try to legislate through the budget, a ban on skill, and we try to criminalize marijuana, which we decriminalized before, we're going to take away some stuff from you in that budget, or we're going to make it your life miserable in trying to get things passed next year. I don't care about that, obviously. Uh, I've had those threats before. Uh, I was a little guy and picked on, and if somebody wanted to threaten me, if they, somebody wanted to bully me, that just made me more mad, and I'm willing to take zero in order to fight for principles. But that's what you're going to see, uh, I'm guessing, but it is really stark, because let's let's unpack really very quickly what's going down so we can discuss it. They are radically, through the budget, changing the criminal laws of Virginia with regard to skill games, games that have been games of skill that have been legal and well-defined for centuries in the Commonwealth of Virginia and its code. And they're also now criminalizing possession of marijuana that we had decriminalized just a couple of years before. And it looks like a trade-off, you know, the, the howls of the world that want, I would just hate skill games. They're scuzzy. But I tell you what, we'll let you criminalize marijuana, which is against the liberals' uh, agenda. And certainly when they were decriminalizing marijuana here in Virginia, they're criminalizing certain possessory amounts now in this budget, which is legislating through the budget, which is something, a bill we never had and voted on. Quite frankly, if we had, it would have been voted down in the same way as this. And so they probably did a trade-off. Well, in order to get skill game banned, we had to we had to criminalize marijuana. Well, I, I don't understand why we got to buy both or take both. So we have now radically rewritten the code sections, especially the gambling code sections under 18.2325 of the Virginia Code and the marijuana laws have just been reformed in order to create more crap uh, in a way and criminalize things in a way that we've never done before. And it pisses me off. Because quite frankly, when you look at the conference report on House Bill 30, and especially what they're trying to do with skill games, I mean, it is convoluted word spaghetti that is not comprehensible by whether you be a convenience store owner that's operating a legal skill game, or you be a law enforcement officer that's trying to determine what's an illegal video game terminal slot machine that's in a store and what's a legal gaming device that's in one of those stores. You're, you're creating a problem for the courts to determine that. And you're jamming up the lawsuit that's going on that's going to finally determine this issue once and for all and give everybody clarity. We've won once. We're going to win again. And we can come back to the General Assembly or even do it in the special session that we're in now. And we can tax and regulate this business. What bothers me the most is, is that one of the authors, one of the chairmen, who I know and respect very much, and I won't say his name, but he states when they rewrite this code and do convoluted, and we can go through it as much as you want, but basically it's convoluted, redefining what a skill game is. And I'll just give you a little, Hermie, a little taste of this action. 
They define skill game includes a device that contains a meter or measured devi- measurement device that records the number of free games, games or portions of games that are rewarded and a device designed to or adapted to enable persons using the device to increase the chances of winning free games or portions of skill games or portions of games by paying that amount that is ordinarily required to play the game. What the hell? As you, what the hell is that? And then it says, and only a skill game can then be allowed to, and they redefine something else. It must be an amusement device and it can only return, quote, an appropriate reward. Appropriate to whom? Janet Howe? Who? And then they convolutedly define what an appropriate reward is as uh, means a non-cash merchandise prize, the value of which does not exceed the cost of playing the amusement device or the total aggregate cost of playing multiple amusement devices that is not and does not include alcoholic beverages that is not eligible for repurchasing and that is not exchangeable for cash or cash equivalents. What the hell is that? I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing I've done. Then they strike the Family Entertainment Center, which we had already gotten from the uh, from the court to say as one of the basis but we had multiple basis that they ignore including First Amendment free speech. They say, oh, well, maybe we were right that Family Entertainment Center was unconstitutional. So they strike that. They strike whole sections here. They do all of this, all of this, uh, in a way that they're trying to cut with a scalpel, but instead they're cutting with a hatchet. And quite frankly, when I look at this, Hermie, this law is going to stop esports. So if your young man or woman is playing esports, uh, for money, like, you know, they're, they're kids that play Madden and, and make a lot of money, out, gone. Can't play Golden Tee because that has a membership thing where you can get cash rewards and prizes when you go to the bar. That's gone. Hell, I've even heard from uh, somebody who says, this might even make illegal if you look at the very distinct language, an ATM, because it takes skill to operate. You put in a, something, a card, something, and get value out of it. The way they've defined this is bullshit. It's part of my language, but it is so harmful it's going to do away with dave and busters Chuck E. cheese they have no clue what they're doing here they had a fourth grader write this and this is what we're stuck with that legislators are going to have to vote for that otherwise this would never have seen the light of day out of a committee in either the house or the senate it is shameful and it is a big f you to our court system that in a six and a half hour hearing contemplated all the evidence about this very code section and issued a ruling giving an injunction allowing skill games legal legitimate skill games the opportunity to operate uh in the commonwealth of virginia uh, despite the efforts and there is only one reason that this is in here this is this does nothing to stop illegal gambling this does nothing to stop the illegal criminal-based Video game terminals, games of chance that are out there right now proliferating throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia does nothing to stop criminal activity. It only seeks to harm small businesses that seek to engage in legitimate activity in in an emerging industry like gambling that this General Assembly decided for itself was now going to change course and we're going to now allow gambling in Virginia, but only if it was from out-of-state sources. They give us a lot of money. Donate to our campaigns. That's it. That's what this is. This is a naked, naked attempt by gaming industries, out-of-state gaming industries, to harm the little guy, to harm the small business owner like you, Hermie, and all those that you represent. That's all this is. And it's disgusting, embarrassing. We have turned a corner now by legislating through this budget, 
and also saying F you to a, to a court when there's a pending case that we once we let that barn door open, you can never get it closed. God help us all what's next. And if we're smart, this is what the debate should be about. It cannot be, it will not be that we're going to write laws that we could not otherwise get passed in the Commonwealth of Virginia by a few people because the general body, the 140 members would never have passed something like this. Same with the criminal marijuana law. Shame on them for decriminalizing, making a convoluted ass law that no one could understand there either, giving people hope in, in decriminalization, and then just saying, oh, in order to make a deal, we're going to criminalize uh, if, you, if you got three ounces. Through the budget, creating criminal penalties. When has that ever friggin' happened? Never. And I'm pissed if you can't tell. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote from more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermes Adler sidekick on this podcast. But when I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer. Give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure that we are the lawyers that you swear by and not at. Sorry, Hermie, you got something to say about this? <laughs> the What really got the Commonwealth of Virginia in trouble, one of the things during our lawsuit is that we were able to prove that they say they want to ban skill games, which in a lot of ways is not true because what they really want to do is only ban skill games that looked like slot machines, although they do not do not play like slot machines. They only wanted to ban skill games that looked like slot machines, but even further than that, they only want to ban skill games that looked like slot machines that operate in convenience stores, truck stops, restaurants, and bars. And so the judge has quickly ruled on that to say, you cannot discriminate, you cannot pick and choose banning this type of game in this type of setting and not others. So now they've taken this other step in the budget to try to slide this through. My question to you is, Bill, as a legislator, not as an attorney, as a legislator, you and I filed this lawsuit back in June, over a year ago, June, okay? We got our injunction, our first 
temporary injunction that was has been a lifeline to small businesses all across the Commonwealth of Virginia in December of 2021. Correct? That is correct. Okay. We got our injunction on de- in December of 2021. When did your General Assembly session start for this year? Uh, about less than a month later. Okay. So we get our injunction in early December 2021. The General Assembly session starts in sometime January of 2022. Correct? Yes. If they wanted or planned to come after us again, the skill game industry, why would they then not introduce legislation like this during the regular General Assembly session? Exactly. I, don't, I, I hope that's a rhetorical question. Again, one would think, okay, because you respected the fact that there's pending legislation. I mean, pe- pending litigation. Pardon me. Uh now, if the General Assembly kind of solves it by creating a resolution agreeable to both parties, then you might have that kind of legislation. But the legislation to ban it has been and fell under the tradition that we don't legislate a wrong. And that is an adverse ruling that is not agreed to by the parties when there is litigation pending on that exact issue. And so that's what happened. But they also knew because they tried to float something like that on. They tried to in Senate finance, put a bill on top of another senator's bill that had to do with charitable gaming. That would have been a skill game ban. And it was summarily not just rejected by the patron, but by everybody on that panel. No, 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 you're not going to do that. So we followed our own rules then. But as soon as we got, when we reduced that number from 140 down to five or 10 and really three or four people that were going to decide that budget time for the shenanigans time for the tomfoolery time for getting in the back door. What we can't get legitimately through the process set up by this democratic process. And, you know, and then what I, what galls me and I, I started to mention earlier and I'll say it now is one of those chairmen said this when confronted by the press, when they asked, they said, uh, you know, are you the court case? You know, it's tied up in court. Skill games determination of Virginia's in court. Is that a problem? And this was printed by the Richmond Times Dispatch. With the fate of skill games tied up in court, this person blank said the budget also seeks to clarify the definition of the machines. Quote: We're not saying that they're outlawed. We're not saying that they're legal. We're just setting out the definitions. It's going to court. We'll let the judge decide, this person said, end quote. Well, then that flies completely in the face. What I'm reading right now is what is identified as item 4-14, number 4C in the budget conference report. And then if you look at the marijuana litigation, uh, they basically said the same thing. Well, we, we you know, it really doesn't do a big deal. Also in that, also in that damn uh, report, uh, is a referendum which they had made a deal with one of the senators about uh, with regard to the casinos, and the casinos uh, basically, you know, the casino referendum in Petersburg, and also in uh, in uh, in Richmond because Richmond voted down the casinos. They want to vote it again. They want to keep trying. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, what they then say, this person says, oh, you know, 
that's not what the bill does. And then when called out on it, he said, well, I was wrong. Uh, I was misquoted. I, I didn't get it right. They don't even know what the hell they've written. They don't. And just like you said earlier, I've gotten calls from legislators saying, can you tell me what this means? And my response is, I wish you could. Ultimately, though, Hermie, I don't think this affects us because we have an order that says in the same statute they're trying to correct that there is an order that says the state of Virginia, which includes the legislature, includes the governor, is prohibited from banning skill games that were recognized and licensed by the ABC as of June 30th. They're precluded, enjoined, prevented from banning skill games. So my opinion is, I don't care what they try to write, those skill games continue to go on and in the legitimate legal skill games that are recognized by the ABC in our convenience stores, in our truck stops, in our restaurants, in our bars, will continue to operate until this court in Greensville Circuit Court makes a ruling November 2nd on how we move forward uh, with this law. And what now, you know, we're, we're not trying to interfere with the court case is a bunch of bull because we're just, you know, we know we're going to let the courts decide. Well, now we have to amend our complaint. They have to amend their answer. The Virginia, uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia does and all the defendants. We then have to brief the issues again. We have to have another whole trial on the same damn thing. We litigated for six and a half hours back in December. Not interfering my ass. You know, don't. You know, the old saying down here in the South is don't don't pee on my leg and tell me that it's raining. It's insulting to think that you know I'd buy that line or anybody buy that line. But quite frankly, there probably are people in there that buy that line. At least they're speaking it. Or now I'm going to guess or going to say, well, OK, I might have been bullshitting you. But guess what? If you say anything about it, you'll pay. So you better just go along with this deal we made. This deal that we made with the devil. Well, this ain't fair. This ain't America. This ain't right. This ain't Virginia. And uh, and hopefully if this budget, and it will pass, people will vote for it. No pass. They'll hold their nose. They'll hate this provision. They'll hate the marijuana decision. And hopefully we have a very reasonable, articulate, intelligent, brilliant governor who's going to look at this and go, wait a minute. This ain't right. And not only that, we're passing up $250 million. You won't give gas tax relief to our citizens, um, but we're giving up $250 million of revenue that the industry is willing to give that would police illegal gaming, would provide that tax relief uh, to our citizens, would provide that gas tax relief. Maybe he has a better way of doing it instead of, and quite frankly, he's demonstrated because this General Assembly uh, in certain forms has shown a utter disrespect and disregard for this great governor that he continues the fight to show him who's boss, at least for the next four years. And he does something reasonable uh, that puts this all to bed, that is agreeable to him as a defendant, to the other defendants, and to Sadler Brothers Oil, and all small businesses. Why are we hurting small business? What the hell did they do to us? And why is, why is the new girlfriend, like you had in the previous podcast, from out of state, so much better to treat uh, than the one who's been loyal and faithful to you all these years. Follow the money, man. Follow the money. Sick. You know, you somewhat answered some of the question, but I made a post 
recently on social media and basically said, if I ran my business the way some of these, some people call them, you know, tenured or, you know, let's be honest, we're talking about Janet Howell and Barry Knight and Tommy Norman. I'll say their names because you probably don't need to say them, but you've got a handful of people that are creating these policies and legislating through the budget and doing all these things because they are bought and paid for by the casino lobby. There, there you go, Bill. I said it, you didn't put all the blame on me. But I made a comment the other day on social media, something to the effect of, if I ran my business the way that these people are running the business of the Commonwealth of Virginia, I would not have a single customer, not one, to sell fuel to with Saddler Brothers Oil Company. I say all that to bring it back to, because I was going to ask you before you mentioned the governor, because one thing that I think we have now in this governor that we may not have had at times in the past is a governor that truly understands business, that has not only an understanding of what people's needs are, but has an understanding of, in some ways, you have to run your government the way you run a business. It, it has to, you have to understand the needs and the wants of your customers. And I think this governor, with his business background, has some of those qualities that we're going to need to navigate some of these things that are being thrown at him, as I said before, in the bottom of the net. So I ask you this offline. I'll ask you now, live on this podcast. In your opinion, and only in your opinion, how is this governor going to react to the prospect of being charged with potentially amending or vetoing or acting on a budget that gets away from the long-standing tradition of not legislating through the budget? Is he going to be okay with that? Or, you know, is he not going to want to be the governor that we talk about 15 years from now when if we open up this can of worms now, this is going to be a well that legislators are going to want to continue to go back to in years to come to slide something in that, 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 that did not pass or is a hot button issue. They want to slide in here at the, at, at the end. How is this governor going to react to being the governor that's going to be faced with how to deal with trying to legislate on these items through the budget. <laughs> it's like what we call in criminal law. It's the first offense. I mean, it's number one. He, usually governors come out of the legislative body a lot of times or from state government, local government, somewhere like that. And so their, their understanding of the traditions that we have, such as not legislating through the budget and certainly not messing with pending court cases through legislation. But he has a lot of very wise uh, people that work for him that do have those experiences that I do believe will bring that to his attention. And he has been one that has been always mindful of those traditions. And I think what has upset me the most is whether it's appointments to boards like the parole board, the Democrats have stuck their finger in the eye of this governor. It's not just been partisan, though. We've seen some of these older Republican Democrats who've been there probably way too long. 
uh, hopefully 2023 will change that that are basically saying we're here longer than you. We're like cockroaches. You can have a nuclear war and we'll still be here. You'll be gone in four years. So we're not going to give you what you want. When we've not treated governors that way, that it's either turn and fight or give in and then be subjected to this for the next three years. Uh, This governor has demonstrated himself to have a very strong spine and backbone. And that is to say uh, his agenda is important for Virginia. It's the right thing for Virginia. Virginians voted for him for this agenda. And these uh, people that have sat in these seats too long just sit there and think they know better than this governor who who ran trillion dollar businesses and 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 through the Carlisle group and has great experience and has surrounded himself with great people. Uh, so I you know, he has the ability that he can sign the budget as it comes in. But I, it, it, this didn't give him what he asked for and asked for respectfully, you know, like the gas tax, gas tax relief and those kind of things. So if he signs a budget as is, it's a rollover. What we have in Virginia that we probably need in the federal government is our governor has a line item veto pen, a red pen, where he can line item through certain parts of this conference report or amend it and send it back for our consideration or include new things for our consideration. I'm hopeful uh, that he will do that because he needs to stand, turn and fight because that's going to establish his legacy for the next three years. What kind of governor is he and going to be? I believe he's a great man. He's going to make a great governor. He's making a great governor. Um, but, you know, if you let the bully win, then once the bully gets that advantage one time, it becomes par for the course, and that's what you should expect. I think this governor will stand up, whether it's this issue, may or may not be this issue, but he should stand up for a lot of things in this budget that just didn't comport with what his agenda was, what the people elected and voted him for. So he can... Sign it as is. I don't see that happening. He can redline it and amend and veto certain things. And we would have to then override that veto. I see that as the the more likely cause and, and direction. And so that's those are the alternatives that we're we're faced with. Um, but I, I think, you know, especially our small business people that may be listening, especially legislators who may be listening. This this is something that just ain't right. And you may hate skill games or gambling. I'm not a gambling guy. I voted against every damn gambling bill there was. But I know in my heart and based on my principles that you got to go with what's fair. And you got to be fair to everybody. Not pick winners and losers as you make that point over and over again, and rightly so. You've got to do the right things. And I know this governor will do that. But we as legislators need to do the right things. Don't look at who, you know, gave you $5,000 or hundreds of thousands of dollars and say, well, I got to vote for him. He gave me money. This, this out-of-state uh, entity, special interest, gave me all this money. I got to just walk in lockstep. Hell no. It's not how you live your life. Because as you say, if you do and you use those terms, then you are bought and paid for. And I don't believe this governor has been bought and paid for at all. And quite frankly, what? his legacy what? is dependent on... How he acts, not just in this small, you know, this is a skill game. If you look at this, it's a very small part of this very large budget, and that's what they're counting on. But the overarching yeah, principle is you don't legislate through the budget, not radically change a criminal code, and you don't mess with pending litigation. We should keep those standards and traditions. You and I talked last night, Memorial Day night, and one of the things that you said that I hadn't really thought about, but the more I think about it, should be something that these people that are responsible for shoving this stuff into the budget in the bottom of the ninth and trying to circumvent the legislative process because they lost 
or they were losing in that fight and losing in court. But you made the comment like, because I try to put myself in other people's shoes in most cases before I give my opinion on things. But you made the comment last night along the lines of, I'll say their names so you don't have to, Janet Howell, Barry Knight, the other people on the periphery, the, the, the small circle that are responsible for all this, are basically telling the circuit court judge, we don't care what you have ruled in the Sadler litigation so far. And they're also basically telling the Supreme Court of Virginia, who in essence affirmed the rulings of the circuit court to this point, they're telling them, we don't care what you've ruled either because we know better than you and we're right. And we're going to prove to you that we're right. Not by letting the court case run its course through November, let the judge rule, take that ruling, try to learn from it, come back in the General Assembly next year and figuring out a way to properly tax and regulate skill games, find a path for casinos, find a path for Rosies. Everybody come together to try to get rid of illegal games, right. which is the should be the first topic of conversation with games in general anyway. But it's almost like they're, they're trying to show this judge and trying to show the Supreme Court that we gave you a we gave you a chance. You're wrong too, so we're also gonna show you how right we are. Well, what, yeah. Why are they doing all that? Well, you know, you even go back to the fact of when we started. They mocked us. They mocked you and me. They laughed. No yeah, they way. Yeah. You can't do this. You're wrong. What what the heck? They, Hermie and Bill have no chance of winning this case. Yeah, fools. It's fool's gold. It's a it's a folly. I heard everything. You mean that June afternoon when it was 300 degrees outside the Capitol? Yeah, I, had to, I, I sweat right there. And you. That's right. It was the two of us. And you know what? There were some small business owners that, that stood with us yeah. that we were so proud to have there. But everybody said they discounted us, even the big out-of-state Stanley, interest. you're crazy. Mm-hmm. You lost your mind. Yeah, I hope you make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, you, you're not doing it for money, brothers and sisters. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. It goes even against my on gaming. You know, you know how I was about that. But, you know, they underestimated us. And then we went in and we took it professionally, seriously, put on a hell of a trial, had great witnesses, prepared video Evidence, documentary evidence, everything to demonstrate that that this law was unconstitutional and the court agreed. And then the Supreme Court, as you just mentioned, they took it on appeal. Now the out-of-state interest, the, the, the colonial downs and all that, all, Rosie's filed amicus, friend of the court briefs, trying to get this thing overturned. I, they couldn't believe that we won. Court must have been wrong. And the Supreme Court said, no, court's right and denied their appeal. And then one of those people that you mentioned in that list that I don't mention said in the press, well, I still think the court got it wrong. Court still got it wrong. What? The what? I mean, okay, that's not even an opinion founded in fact. And yet this is what, how they think. So now it's like, well, now that we, you know, court got it wrong, we're going to fix the court. Uh, that's an affront. And, and quite frankly, I think whether you look at what they're doing through this budget, <laughs> legislating. I mean, this is potential. They can do this in so many more ways in so many different areas that it should scare every single Virginian. But it also is a naked, I mean, the curtain's been ripped back. It's a naked attempt of trying to get a result 
contrary to what the Constitution says and the courts have said about that in the Constitution, because it serves a special master. That master, which they are at the behest of because they want power and the ability to stay in their damn seats. And that requires money. I mean, how the hell can we ever think that there's a redeeming quality in any legislator? No wonder we get the reputation we get. You know, at least they were better at hiding it in the past than they are now. This is just ridiculousness. the, The simple fact that an elected legislator called me Sunday asking me, simply as a resident of Virginia and a small business owner, asking me to define for them what this language meant because he had already been told that they were requesting a up or down yes or no vote on this budget on Wednesday. In essence, telling the General Assembly, you have to come in and vote yes or no, which we know the votes are going to be yes for the most part. I'll be surprised, pleasantly surprised, if anybody had, you said this earlier, so it's okay for this podcast, if anybody has the balls to vote no on a budget. But in essence, they're asking members, elected officials in the Commonwealth of Virginia to come to the General Assembly and vote yes or no on a budget that has language in it that they do not understand. If that doesn't tell you all you need to know about the current state of politics in the Commonwealth of Virginia, that is a scary proposition. Asking our leaders, elected leaders, to vote yes, in essence, on a budget that contains language that they do not understand what it means is the biggest crock of shit that I have ever heard in my 50-plus years. Well, it is yeah. so irresponsible. Well, and, and look, and I've— So backdoor, yeah. backroom, backdoor, back, whatever you want to call it. It is not the way a democracy is supposed to You're work. exactly right, Hermie. And, you know, here's—I'll make another bet with you. I bet the most you know, probing question to these conferees that wrote this, well, that put it in the budget, is who wrote it? What fourth grader wrote it? Do you think, because we, we have legislative services which have some of the best lawyers. I mean, we have great people that dedicate their lives to helping us write bills that make legal sense and that pass constitutional muster. I'll bet you, I'll bet you a Milky Way bar that not one of those lawyers touched it. That this came from someone else. In fact, I've seen a memo, um, and this is a little bit of inside stuff, that these outside gaming interests send uh, the insidiousness of uh, skill gaming and, and this, is, this language is important. Yeah, it's important to give you a monopoly. So they wrote it. I bet you. I bet you. No one from the Commonwealth of Virginia wrote that. Came up with that crap. But because all they needed to do was play hide the ball and just stare at the shiny object so they can get it through and muddle up what the court has already done in the litigation to make it to give them a second shot at winning what they couldn't win, what they could could not win through the front door of the courthouse that trying to win through the back door. And I would think, you know, uh, uh, somebody who loves our judicial system here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, that the court should take an affront to that 
and and should not pay any attention to what they're doing. But outside interest wrote this crap. I know it. There's no good Virginia lawyer with legislative services or anywhere else in the Commonwealth of Virginia that would try to pass this stuff and then to pass it over. Oh, don't worry about it. It doesn't affect the court case. It doesn't, it doesn't affect, you know, the ultimate issue of skill games in Virginia is, I mean, you just think I'm an idiot and, and then do nothing about illegal gambling that's proliferating. And, and guess what, Hermie, and, and you and I have had this conversation too. You and I, through our court case, did not create the proliferation of illegal gambling. We've said, I think on this podcast before, that when they crafted SB 971 and passed it, when July 1st hit and ABC regulation and oversight went away of the legal skill games that were that we liked them and suddenly we don't like them, guess what came through the front door? A proliferation of illegal gambling devices that don't pay taxes, that rip off the consumer that chooses to pay them because it's a game of chance and manipulated and controlled, so the player has no control, and are manipulating our small businesses that have no other choice but to try to put them in to save their businesses from going under because they have higher gas prices, inflation through the roof, their costs are going up, and now they got to pay $18 an hour to some dude to run a cash register in a convenience store. Oh, all brought to you by your federal and state government. I mean, <laughs> they did nothing. On June, on June 30th of last year. Nothing to, to stop the, crime. The, They've made the it worse now. guys... The good guys got killed and the bad guys got a free pass to come in and and wreck our state. And that's the another frustrating part because most people know very little to nothing about the skill game industry, how they work, why they're legal, their importance to small business, and... What's worse than all of that is to most people that just stand on the sidelines and don't understand it, they try to blur the lines together between the illegal and the illegals so that when the illegal games operate and something bad happens, they can blame the legal operators. And they do it on purpose. Yeah, they're doing that right now. In fact, but, uh, so people that are operating legal skill games are doing so responsibly as they did before in the places that they did before. But now when there's an illegal game going on and they go, it's an illegal skill game and it's not. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're conflating the two issues there by putting more, you know, you and I have legitimized this issue and they're trying to put the black hat back on this issue, the bad guy image on this issue by making everything a skill game uh, that runs uh, in that are these illegal video game terminals and these games of chance slot machines. It's, it's a, uh, you know, it's what they do. And they want to stifle discussion. They probably are listening to this on Thursday and they've gotten their vote and they're thinking they're taking a little victory lap. And they're thinking, hey, we got this. And they're like, how dare these two numb nuts uh, sit here and, and, and debate an alternative viewpoint because they want to stifle debate. They want to shove it down these legislators throats who are forced to vote for this. And ultimately what they want is a monopoly, because I'm telling you right now, if they take out the legal skill games, as they're trying to do, they take them out. I'll, I'll tell you in about a year or two, these, these big outside interests, these gaming interests will come in and go, hey, you know, it'd be really great if we get some skill games in these convenience stores and restaurants, kind of like we had before, but we'll, we'll operate them. 
and then the monopoly is complete. And then the small business is at the behest of the big business once again. It's got nothing to do to them about having skill games. It's about them not having the control of the market from top to bottom. These out-of-state casino interests that we've talked about time and time and time again. But I can tell you, as a as a person raising my family and operating businesses in the Commonwealth of Virginia, the precedents that we're setting and talked about for the last hour in this part of our podcast, the the practice of legislating through the state budget, the practice of asking our elected officials to vote on things without knowing when the hell they're even voting on, and the few people the longer tenured senators and delegates, um, they call them whatever they, I call them entitled. They think they're entitled. Uh, All the things that they're letting slide by with the vote on this budget and legislating through it is opening up a can of worms. It's such a slippery slope that we're going to be talking about 10, 15, 20 years from now, the budget of 2022, when they tried this, when they tried that, when they legislated this through the budget, when they legislated that through the budget, when they, when everybody found out that it was okay to circumvent the legislative process and get what we want by doing it this way, I just hope, and I pray, and I think he does, I hope our governor sees this for what it is and realizes that a stand needs to be taken now to prevent, you're talking about the wild, wild west of skill games. What about the wild, wild west of legislating through the budget Mm. that if we allow it now, what is it going to be next year? What are they going to do two years from now? I mean, what purpose does does it serve to have a General Assembly if we can just go this route with it, if we don't get what we want through the, it's just, it is a bad, bad, precedent to sit and i hope our governor does not stand well and that's all i you're exactly right exactly right as always hermy i love to tell you when you're right and i even tell you when you're right when you're not right just because it makes you feel better but that you know if we don't if we don't we don't need the old system back in place we don't need 140 legislators just pick five or ten and they just sit around in a smoky room and they make the decisions we don't need democracy we don't need voters it's all on them but i'm going to tell you this as we end this I promise you as your attorney and as someone who is taking this on principle and has fought from the very beginning that we will not give in. We will not give up. We're going to continue to fight and we're going to continue to win. We're going to win this thing and we are going to be unaffected by no matter what this attempt is in the budget to legislate out uh, legitimate legalized skill games. We're going to carry on. Uh, I have just begun to fight. And I think, you know, we anticipated this, so we were ready for it. Uh, we're energized, and I want justice. I don't want, I don't want this kind of stuff. I want what's right, what's been promised to me. And you know what? What those that came before us who gave and shed their blood, gave their lives and shed their blood to protect, which is liberty and freedom and a free society that is governed by an open and transparent government that thinks about all people, not just big corporations, but small businesses, every citizen's right, and and puts that first. And so that they understand that is that the government that works for the people and not the other way around. And we will win this case. 
And you can you put that in the newspaper. You can put that in the bank. Bill, uh, you know as well as I do, and we'll end on that, and I appreciate that passionate close, but the few five or so people that are throwing these grenades at small businesses because they are bought and paid for by the casinos, they are so pissed off that we have won so far in court. And what they're trying to do now is to break our spirit. They think they're going to break my bank account and or break your spirit and that you'll eventually show up one day to the General Assembly and say, Uncle, yeah. you got yep. us. But luckily, you and I have a strong enough relationship and have had enough conversations offline to know and truly understand what we're fighting for, why we're fighting for it. One of these days, we'll tell the story about how some of these casino money people have come after you and I and tried to get us to go to the dark side. Right. <laughs> and a better understanding of what they're really after, the kind of people they are. And I can just tell you, they do not have the best interest of the citizens of the Commonwealth of Virginia. All they care about is their bank accounts. Mm -hmm. And we are fighting for people that do not have the resources, the money to have the platform and the stage that we have. And I am just thankful that we have the support of hundreds of small business owners and operators, whether they be truck stops, convenience stores, hole-in-the-wall bars, taverns, with one game sitting on the bar that that three, four, five hundred dollars a month has been keeping them alive through this pandemic. And I just hope that our governor, I'll say it one more time, I hope our governor understands, and I'm sure he does, really and truly what this is about the small businesses, the backbone of economies in parts of the state that are underrepresented and have no voice in these negotiations. Because the people that are sitting in this little small circle at a table, none of those people are from Emporia, Virginia, or Southside, Virginia, or even Southwest Virginia that truly understand the economic challenges that we're battling and fighting through to try to keep people at work, try to keep people at jobs that want jobs to protect their family, working eight to five, nine to six jobs. I mean, these people that are throwing, I've said before, throwing these grenades at us don't have these problems that these people that we're fighting for do. Yep, and I hope we're educating and everybody. Remember that. And I hope we're educating everybody, not just on this, uh, on this issue. This is one issue that I think uh, demonstrates why we need to care about our government, why we need to be involved, and why we're trying to educate you. And everything you've just said is exactly right. And because when we don't pay attention, these things will happen. And when we're not paying attention, these things will happen over and over again, where one day you're going to wake up and you've traded all of your freedom and liberty and all fundamental fairness for something that the government calls security. And Benjamin Franklin said, a man that trades his freedom and liberty for security has neither and deserves neither. And so we need to be vigilant. That time is now. This may be one issue, but it demonstrates, I think, clearly your government at work and when your government is not working for you. And that is the reason I fight. That's the reason you fight, Hermie. And that's the reason why all of us, all of us should pay attention, be involved and fight. Last thing I'll say. Think of how entitled you have to be 
First of all, to be elected to a statewide office is an honor and a tremendous responsibility. But think about how entitled you have to be to be one of these elected officials, to think and to say and to govern in a fashion that basically says, Hermie and Bill, you are wrong. Circuit Court in Greensville County, you are wrong. Supreme Court of Virginia, you are wrong. Small businesses across the Commonwealth of Virginia, screw you. For what? To make the casino people happy? I just hope people are paying attention. I hope people understand really what's at stake here. Skill games is just the scratching of the surface of what is going on here in our fight and what these people that are trying to put these, this legislation in this budget are trying to do to not just us. Bill, we're passionate about this case and we want to win this case. You said we're going to win it and I believe you. But take all this stuff away. You and I are still going to be okay. But there's a lot of people that I'm responsible for, 300 plus people on my payroll that I'm responsible for every week that deserve a right to have a voice, to have a seat at the table, and I'm not going to let a few entitled elected officials in the Commonwealth of Virginia take that voice away from them because some guy with a casino or that wants a casino has got more money than we've got. I'm not going to let that happen, and I know you're not either. Never, ever, 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 never. I might be COVID positive, but I'm tyranny negative and will always be tyranny negative and will fight it at every turn. And uh, that's why we fight. And I hope it's inspirational to those people that are listening. I hope this is instructional and educational for those that may not know what their government is doing around them. And I hope this, um, you know, brings people to the fore and says, wait a minute. They say, we're not putting up with this. We're, we didn't we didn't agree to this. We're not putting up with this, whether it's skill games or the next thing that they're going to do. So uh, I want to thank you for this people, discussion. The casino people, last thing. <laughs> <laughs> Second The last casino thing. people do not have enough money to change the Constitution. Hmm. That's a good point. Okay? it's a great point. So what was unconstitutional December the 2nd when we got our injunction, guess what? It's still unconstitutional today. You are right. They don't right. have enough money to change the law in the Constitution, and we're going to continue to fight on behalf of small businesses um, until we get what's rightfully ours, and that is a fair and equitable tax and regulation scheme for us. But people, pay attention. Thanks for listening. Look, I just appreciate the people that listen to this podcast just listening with an open mind mm -hmm. and listening to our side of what makes us passionate and makes us want to fight for this. Bill, I appreciate the time as always. I want to thank again uh, the people at Pacematic for this platform. Uh, I hope you feel better. I know you got a long week ahead of you. I know you would want and need to be in Richmond standing up and fighting for what you know yeah. is right. Yeah. But you're doing the you're doing the responsible thing and taking care of you and your family to get better. Family first. Uh, but our fight our fight will continue. Yes, our sir. fight will continue. Yes, sir. And uh, well, now that I'm laid up uh, with the COVID, uh, I'll be working on the briefs, amending the complaint, and uh, putting our case back in the posture that it. It, it, it will remain uh, in that we, 
which is a victorious one. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. I hope you have learned something. I hope this makes you act. Get get up off your couch. Get out of your car and say, I'm not taking this crap anymore, and I'm going to do something about it. Uh, thank you always uh, to Pacematic. Thank you to always everyone that, that helps us with this. Uh, Brad Tuesday, our executive producer, Podcast Heat, and Jeff Jarrett and those fellas, uh, David Green. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I'm mad as hell, and I'm leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. I can't thank everyone in the small business community for enough for their support of our fight. It will continue. And as Bill said, we will win. Yes, sir. We'll see you next week. God bless you all.